What is going on, everyone? Welcome into another episode of The Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrandHolyLand.com. My name is Colton Denning, and I am your host coming to you on January 8th, 2019. And as always, I am joined by my friend and co-host, Patrick Mayhorn. Patrick, what was it like seeing Alabama get stomped out on TV? Because I was there in person, and boy, was it sure fun to watch. Man, it was like... It, it was a thorough ass whooping. It was as thorough an ass whooping as I have seen Alabama take um, maybe ever. I mean, it, it hasn't happened under Saban. They they have not lost like that under Saban, and it you know it, it seemed like it was going to be a shootout in the first quarter. They both teams came out and they were just scoring a bunch and not playing a whole lot of defense. But then Brent Venables and the the Clemson defense completely locked down and. Um, you know, Trevor Lawrence and his numerous very tall freshman receivers just took over and man, it was it was brutal. I mean it it didn't even it, it wasn't even close. It was not as close as the twenty eight point difference at the end of the game and um I like I wasn't really rooting for either team. I, I didn't really care too much. I, I kinda just wanted a good game. Um and it wasn't a particularly good game, but I will say it was really really fun to to watch uh trevor lawrence play football to watch justin ross play football and to to watch that clemson defense one last time before a good chunk of it breaks up and goes off to the nfl at least the the defensive line but it was i mean it was definitely an ass whooping it was it was really impressive from clemson that's the best way to put it for me and that's what i felt just watching it up close was how impressive they looked on every side of the ball and side note like how is an ad not backed up the brinks truck for brent venables i know clemson's paying him a lot and he's very happy there but good god man like what more does he need to do for an ad or an nfl guy somebody to poach him and let him run their program because that defense is mean, it's scary, all those dudes look like they're half human, half metal, very fast, and they will just kick your ass up and down the field. And yeah, Trevor Lawrence, man, he had a couple of passes that were zinged a little a little too hard, and it looked like you could definitely tell he was playing in the national championship, but he also had some otherworldly throws that he made. And the one thing that stood out to me about him was even in the bad passes he threw, they were never to Alabama players. Everything was always where only his guys could go get it. And just super impressive. And I will say this before we transition, because it's a big week in Ohio State. We got a lot to get to here and a lot of fun things to talk about with Ohio State. I will say being there, Santa Clara and that whole host committee, they all got shit on pretty good by the national media. That game was packed. And it was not a wine and cheese crowd like some people would lead you to believe. I was walking around. I saw how people were dressed. And I saw or I listened to how people talked. Uh, They were not wine and cheese people. (laughs) They were from uh, Clemson and Alabama. Those two fan bases made the trip. So as low as my expectations were, that was a really good uh, atmosphere for the national championship. And I've still seen some people fighting that narrative and pushing it out. But no, it it was packed and it was super duper loud. I don't think they'll ever go back there again and I don't blame them, but I think it went better than most people thought it would. And I, I think that it's good that we talked about Clemson right there because another thing I thought pertains to Ohio State and is a good transition that while I was watching them, the thought crossed my mind of, this is everything that we've wanted Ohio State to be the last three or four seasons, and this is everything that they should have been, whether it was the parallels between Lawrence and Haskins and wanting Haskins to replace JT Barrett last year and some of these receivers that are coming in that are bigger guys and getting freshmen onto the field and letting them play and letting your defense be aggressive and not holding them back. Everything that Clemson did last night and what they did all season and honestly what they've done the past two or three years has embodied to me what Ohio State should be and what they need to be doing. And this is a great topic because in the last couple of days, Ryan Day has gone absolutely crazy with what he's doing with this program and everything that you and I have talked about and whined about and been negative about for the program and everything that people yelled at us for, for being too negative and that we, we didn't know what we were talking about. In less than a week, 
Ryan Day has accomplished almost everything that we talked about all season. Boy, has has there been a lot going on with Ohio State football? Yeah, man, I, I feel so I feel so justified, so vindicated <laughs> that um, you know someone who is a um, you know a capital F capital G football guy like Ryan Day uh, saw the same stuff that us little old podcasters did all year, and um, you know the I, I saw really all season long the um the Overton window on what was acceptable to uh to criticize about Ohio State shift. Um because I remember at the beginning of the year after the uh the TCU game writing a piece about how Bill Davis isn't very good at his job and I got um I mean it's like slammed. I mean like people were, were up in my email, people were like DMing me about how um you know I wasn't giving Bill Davis a fair shot and uh, did you know he was Urban Meyer's best man, and that means something? And um, it just it was a a visceral reaction to criticizing Bill Davis. And by the end of the year, I was pretty actively calling for Urban Meyer to retire, um, and didn't get a whole lot of pushback on that. Didn't get a whole lot of people saying, "Well, that's ridiculous." And there was certainly the well, you know, check the wins people, which is fair, but um, it, it really was a a massive shift as the season went on. And I think that Ryan day recognized that. I think that he recognized that Bill Davis was not the only issue with the defense, that Greg Schiano was not the only def- an issue with the defense. And now both of them are gone. Um, Alex Grinch has been gone. Taver Johnson will be gone. Um, he's not currently gone as of recording, but he, he will be, he is, he's not going to be at Ohio state next season, barring, something um very very surprising happening and uh ohio state has three new guys in it'll be a uh it'll be a fourth pretty soon here i I don't know exactly who that is i know that there are some some rumors out there that Corey raymond from lsu is the guy i'm not sure i buy into that a hundred percent but um the uh the new names that we do know greg madison from uh from michigan al washington also from michigan and uh, Jeff Halfley, who was a, a name that um, I certainly didn't know <laughs> when it was announced, and um, the really the whole uh, land grant Holy Land Slack room was like quickly scrambling to figure out who Jeff Halfley was. But I, I think that the the hires that Ryan Day has made, going out and hiring a young guy in Halfley and pairing him with. Um, probably the oldest man I've ever seen in <laughs> Greg Madison. He, he looks like a billion years old, but, uh, you know, pairing the young innovative defensive mind with an older guy and kind of training him up, going out, bringing in Al Washington, who is an ace recruiter, a guy who has deep, deep connections in Ohio as, as does Madison and just changing up the way that the defense operates, changing up the way that Ohio state recruits, even, um, trying to, reestablish itself in Ohio um, after kind of burning some of those bridges with Urban Meyer. And I, I think that it, it really is, you know, I, I joked that I feel vindicated, but it really is what we were talking about all year, that Ryan Day, you know, or whoever would be the head coach, now we know it's Ryan Day, has to be cutthroat with the defensive staff. And I, I think that that ties pretty well into what Clemson did last night with, you know, you got a freshman quarterback out there who replaced a, a multi-year starter who went to the playoff. You've got you know, a team with an elite running back passing the ball for most of the game and making business decisions over making the decisions that feel best personally. And that's the key to winning games in college football is making those tough decisions as a head coach. And Ryan Day so far has passed that test. He he made some choices that I'm sure were not personally easy for him. I, I think that, you know, he, he has a personal relationship with Bill Davis from their time on the, uh, the Eagles staff together. He knows these guys. He was... You know, he was close with Greg Schiano when he was the interim head coach here at Ohio State back in, you know, early September and August, and Schiano was a big help there. But he also knows that they're not going to be the most valuable guys he could have on the staff, and he made the move that was necessary, and that's really, really impressive. Yeah, and the most frustrating thing all season is, you know, we, we're, we're two idiots. We, we will never yeah. claim to be anything <laughs> but two idiots, but when even we were seeing those things and calling it out, then the hope was, hey, when Ryan Day or somebody else who knows much more about football than, than either of us combined ever will, 
then hopefully they make a change. And it did not take Ryan Day long. And to your point about this being probably tougher personally for him than it was professionally, I will say this as much as we dislike both of those guys as football coaches, Ryan Day handled this with about as much couth as you as you can. And the stuff he put out on Twitter, the way it was handled, maybe some other stuff leaks out or pops out. I don't think it will because Ryan Day handled this about as good as you can. And those are two tough decisions to make, especially when Urban Meyer is still around. I joked on Twitter that the other day was the first day that Meyer took a vacation. He was like, hey, man, I'm going to be away from my phone for like three or four hours. Uh, If you need anything, call Shelly or whatever. Let me know. There shouldn't be anything crazy. And Day was just like, yeah, sure, man. I I don't anticipate doing anything. I'll uh, I'll holler at you. And then five hours later, Meyer looked at his phone and he was like, what the f***? What has happened? But I, I think that Day did it about, you know, I don't, I hate this word, but he did it as about as classy as you could in this situation and it was time for them to move on and they did and the thing for me that sticks out about this because we can say we like the moves at the end of the day we're gonna have to wait to see what happens in recruiting on the field and as we get closer to the 2019 season and then when the actual games are played but the thing that's clear is that the old way wasn't working those guys weren't working and another season wasn't it, it wasn't going to get any better it probably would have gotten worse and for him to recognize that and move on i think is the best possible move we'll see if the other guys work out but at the very least the old way wasn't working you got to do something new and from what i know and have heard about all three of these guys in washington madison and halfley I like it so far, and we'll see how it plays out. But with the other guys that are in place there and whoever comes on as DB coach, I think that Ryan Day is establishing a little bit of a different structure than Urban Meyer did, a little bit different flavor in his coaches. And that's a good thing because it's been pretty stagnant the last few years, save for a guy like Day, save for a guy like Hartline, save for obviously Larry Johnson. But I wouldn't expect this to be the end of the moves. We'll see what happens, if anything, on offense. But I enjoyed that Ryan Day saw that there were issues and immediately went out and attacked him and is going to do things his way than stick with what the previous regime did in year one. Yeah, and you know, you you joked that Urban Meyer was off on on vacation. I I like to think that he woke up at like 2 p.m., uh, you know how retired people should do uh, to 300 texts from Bill Davis asking him to find him another job somewhere. I, I really, I would really like to know what Bill Davis has on Urban Meyer that that got him the Ohio State job. But he's already living in the basement, bro. He's already he's moved in yeah, he's, to the he's pool room. He's chilling in that Meyer face. He's a part of the family now. Oh man, yeah. But we are we are finally free of the Bill Davis curse of the Greg Schiano curse and. Um, I, I think that just for the sake of of our podcast What's, health, of you know, for our mental health on this podcast, not having Bill Davis at Ohio State anymore is um, one of the best pieces of news that I've gotten in a long time. <laughs> I'm gonna be so mad when Dallas Gant, Tarada Mitchell, and Baron Browning are all all American linebackers yeah. next year. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Yeah. On, on the subject of the new guys, rock. though. Whether it's recruiting, uh, just philosophy, what stands out about any of those three guys? I know people are really excited about Washington coming over, and that's something we haven't even gotten into. Not only did Ryan Day just totally obliterate Urban Meyer's old coaching staff, he did so at the expense of Michigan by bringing in <laughs> two of their assistants. So, uh, you know, Ryan Day, I don't, I don't think it was lip service when he first got the job about sticking true to what Meyer and and Jim Trestle, how they attacked the rivalry with Michigan. Not only did he talk about it, but he's also executed it in the form of stealing two of their better assistant coaches in the the span of a week. Yeah. And in terms of actual like recruiting stuff and and what the guys bring to the staff, um, I'll start with Al Washington, who you you mentioned a little bit and alluded to a little bit. I think Al Washington's probably the best get of the bunch, at least right now. I think Halfley could be really, really good down the down the road. We kind of know what Greg Madison is, but um, Al Washington's kind of a rising star in in college football right now. He has he has very quickly become a pretty well known name. Only a year at at Michigan as the linebackers coach, but 
their linebackers were excellent this year. And um, I, I think that, you know, in, in fitting mission fashion, the most impressive thing, uh, you know, the most impressive part of Al Washington's tenure at Michigan as a recruiter was actually a loss. It, it was the... Um, it was the Zach Harrison recruitment, and obviously Ohio State ultimately lands Zach Harrison, but you know, Al Washington was the entire reason that Michigan was in that recruitment for so long. He single-handedly kept them in that race and very nearly won it um, because of his ability to develop relationships, because of his just natural charisma. He he can relate to recruits extremely well, and he's a guy who I think is going to be super, super valuable for Ohio State down the road. The other two, we don't know as much about recruiting, at least in you know in 2019. Madison used to be a really, really awesome recruiter. He has seemingly stepped back from that a little bit. I, I don't know if it's an active, just that he's not, he doesn't have the energy to do it anymore, or if he's just losing his you know ability to relate to the youths. Um, but I, I think he's still at least a decent recruiter. He's very, very well respected in Ohio, which is another thing that you really were seeing Ryan Day focus on trying to bring Ohio back into the fold for Ohio State and trying to make sure that they're not losing top guys out of the state anymore. And um, I, I think that's a main reason that Greg Madison was hired. And he should be able to do that even if he's not outlanding five stars anymore and he's not out you know, getting the Rashawn Garys and, and Jabril Peppers, both of whom he was responsible for. Um, and I, I think that he can still be a valuable guy as a recruiter. Um, Halfley, we don't really know. He He's only spent, what, four years in college. Uh, both of both of his college jobs were uh, Pitt and, and Rutgers for three years at Pitt and one year at Rutgers as a defensive backs coach. And he was seemingly a very solid recruiter at, at both jobs. I've I've heard him described as tireless, which doesn't really mean anything, but um, he's a young guy. He's got a lot of energy, and he is um, apparently a very, very solid recruiter. He's a big New Jersey guy, which Ohio State has needed for several years now. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if having him on staff means Ohio State is going to look to not only secure Ohio's recruiting base a little bit more, but they might look to go into New Jersey a little bit. They might look to bring... Uh, they might look to bring Halfley and, and uh, Larry Johnson and maybe even Ryan Day up there to try and make inroads in the north re- northeast. And I think that, that would be a really good move for Ohio State. I think that that's territory that fits the program pretty well, and they haven't gone to a ton. Do you think Florida's sacrificed at all with losing Meyer, and now it, it doesn't seem, at least from an initial look, that anybody is super well-connected? Maybe that'll be Heartline's gig going forward. But what do you think about that? area that pipeline into florida i think heartline's definitely going to be the guy down there ohio state really never used florida for much but receivers at least i mean you got the bosa brothers and some running backs but it's it's really a recruiting hotbed for receivers and i think that that is a place where brian heartline can be successful um that is that's my guess for how they use him as a um purely is just recruiting wherever the talent is receivers wise and that's how they use them so far so I don't I don't think we're going to see quite as many Florida guys as we did under Urban Meyer just because I mean Urban Meyer still has a lot of pull in Florida and you know even years after leaving the you know the Gators he he still had some pull there but I, I do think if there's talent in Florida that's interested in Ohio State, Ohio State will be more than willing to go down there and get it. You know, Florida, Texas, both, I, I could see Ohio State taking a little bit of a step back. Um, Texas, not as much because Ohio State doesn't have a presence there, but just because uh, Texas is back, <laughs> as, as, you know, announcers <laughs> like to say. And uh, Tom Herman seems to have that program kicking at a, a pretty high level right now. And that generally means that the top players in the state aren't going to leave. Um, and I, I think that, you know, you see a guy like Garrett Wilson come to Ohio State, uh, but outside of that, you're probably not going to see a ton of Texas guys going to Ohio State for the next couple years. Um, what what we could see is, is, along with a, you know, the move out to New Jersey, the move inward to Ohio a little bit more. I think you're going to see more California, more West Coast guys. Ryan Day is very good at recruiting on the West Coast. And um, Mike Yersich is a guy who Ryan Day thinks can be a very capable West Coast recruiter. And I think that the, you know, 
Ohio State's connections in the southeast are certainly drying up a little bit, but that is kind of by design. I think that they're trying to move into the northeast a little bit more, move a little bit closer to home, and then extend out westward where there's a lot of, um, I don't want to say air raid talent. There's a lot more passing game-oriented talent than there is in the southeast. The southeast is a lot of very run-heavy offenses, and that's not really what Ohio State wants to do, which is you know why they're reaching out to the West Coast, why they're reaching out to the Northeast, where you're going to find a lot of guys who throw the ball a lot. You're going to find a lot of receivers who catch the ball a lot and a lot of linemen who have been blocking for you know heavy passing attacks for years now. And I think that that makes a lot of sense. I think all of the hires that Ryan Day has, has made so far are – you know, when you look at them on the the whole the whole scheme and the whole seemingly plan of what he wants to do at Ohio it's State, it. all of them line up. Yeah, it it all it makes a lot of sense when you look at the you know the finished product and what Ryan Day wants to do. And I, I like that a lot. It, it doesn't feel like a patchwork staff. It feels like a staff that has a very specific goal in mind for what the team will look like. I don't think it's too tinfoil either to think that if there are big-time prospects in the Southeast, in Texas, that they are interested in and can seem like they can land that are that are also reciprocating that interest, that Meyer is going to be used to as a closer. Yeah, of he's a human trophy. Help. Yeah. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, and, and that's something we've talked about is the best way to use him is that if he's still going to be on board and he can still recruit at a high level but can't scheme up the way he did in the past – if you have him on and he can still bring guys in, then the more the merrier. Do yeah. that. So that that may be one of his, you know, shadow roles at, as this new what associate athletic director, whatever the official title is, is he's still going to play a role in recruiting. And they've already established certain relationships with kids there. And if they know that, hey, at least he's still around, I have somebody that I trust or really like that's still there. You know that that's an easier way to get to know Ryan Day as the head coach and get to know some of these new staff members and have an in there. So we'll see how that plays out, but definitely would not be surprised at all if Meyer still plays a big role in Ohio State's recruiting, especially some of these more highly touted national guys. Do we have anything else on assistant coaches? Because I think you hit it right on the head. That to me is what's good about this is Day has a clear plan of what he wants to go get, what he wants to make happen, and get to it. And we haven't spent a lot of time talking about offense. I know we there's one last scalp that this podcast needs, possibly two if we want to include Kevin Wilson, to just expunge this coaching problem. Kevin Wilson talking is okay about. for now. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like he's okay for now. Greg Stodrawa, it okay for now. And maybe... That's partly due to the fact that Day is not just like, hey, I'm, I'm going to gut this whole staff all in one year. It does help, I think, or helpful to have some continuity on your staff. You don't want to have a brand new staff every single year. But that remains to be seen in my eyes as well. And maybe with at least Wilson, we'll get to see a little bit more if he wants to do now that this offense truly is ryan days and the program truly is ryan days i I don't think you're gonna see a lot of those ground and pound philosophies anymore with ohio state and maybe that'll help with how he kind of has that vision for the offense maybe not i think we're both on the same page of like if kevin wilson goes then like cool let's let's make it sooner the better but (laughs) we'll see what happens when it comes to that different that shift in scheme and philosophy between Day and Urban Meyer. And honestly, that's something that is just as an overall big picture thing about the program is going to be one of the most interesting things we look at next year because transitioning into some other news that happened, KJ Hill, somewhat surprisingly, I think, at least for for the both of us, announced on Twitter that he'll be returning for his senior season. Benjamin Victor, less surprisingly, but still for us, very good news, also said that he would be staying for his senior season. And this Ohio State receiving core, we just watched a really good one, maybe one of the best all-time in program history. They're out the door. This one, for different reasons, I think sets up to be very, very exciting because they bring something that not a lot of other 
receiving cores have in recent program memory. A lot of these guys are acrobatic. They're tall. They can do a lot of different things. And KJ Hill being back as that slot receiver paired with Justin Fields, this is going to be on paper a very diverse and I think explosive passing offense next year. Yeah, getting getting KJ Hill back is a a really huge deal, and I think that he goes underappreciated a little bit by Ohio State fans just because he's not, uh, you know, he's not a huge play guy. He he makes a lot of underneath plays and just very very steady hands, very steadying force on the offense, and he is a he's a big part of what Ryan Day wants to do, and getting him back is really such a big deal, not just because you have KJ Hill back in the lineup, but because of who that keeps out of the lineup. And I, I think that the guys behind him are certainly, at least one of them is pretty talented. Um, the other one is CJ Saunders. But I, I think Ooh, that... I see what you did there. <laughs> we love Jalen Gill on this show. We do. Um, yeah, Jalen Gill get in the starting lineup. But um, no, when you have KJ Hill back, that means that you have an experienced slot receiver... And that also means that you're not starting yet another very young receiver. And I, I, I think that you can have success playing very young receivers, as we have seen with you know schools like Clemson that had seemingly every receiver out there was a freshman. Both of the teams in that game last yeah. night. Yeah, it's weird how that works. It's almost like playing your freshman is a good idea or something. Um, but you have K.J. Hill back at slot receiver, which means that uh, you you always have that steadying force. You will always have KJ Hill out there, and that's a that's a huge deal for whoever the quarterback is. It'll be Justin Fields if he gets the waiver, which I, I think he does. Um, and then alongside him, you have Chris Olave, you have Ben Victor, you have Austin Mack, and then you have this Garrett Wilson kid coming in. And I think Garrett Wilson is a guy who's going to start immediately. I, I think he's going to see significant playing time immediately. He he fits the offense so perfectly. And he's just such an elite talent, and it it really is. You know, you you said that the the group, the receiving group this past year is probably the best in school history. I think I would agree with that. And this upcoming receiver group is different. It, it's a very different feel to it. Just the style of player is different. But I, I think in terms of actual potential, in terms of ceiling, in terms of athletic ability, it could be it could top the the 2018 group. I think it could top the 2018 group pretty easily. Because you have <clears throat> you have the deep threats. You have Victor, you have Mac, you have extremely consistent possession guys like KJ Hill. You have, you know, guys who seemingly can do it all in Garrett Wilson and in Chris Olave. And then you've got all these question marks. You got Jalen Harris, you got Jalen Gill, you got, you know, Cameron Babb, you know, LaChristian Blue Smith, all these guys who are just kind of unproven, extremely talented young players who could see the field at any time. And on top of that, you got guys like Jeremy Rucker and Luke Farrell, who I don't think is going to see the field as much next season because Ryan Day prefers a receiving tight end, which is why I mentioned Jeremy Rucker. Um, and then I, I believe Rashad Berry is somehow back, entering what feels like his 100th year at Ohio State. And... Then you've got Demario McCall and J.K. Dobbins in the backfield next to presumably Justin Fields behind an offensive line that certainly replaces a lot but is extremely talented. And all of that is being put into a Ryan Day, Mike Yersich offense. And that's you know that has the potential to be unlike anything we've ever seen at Ohio State in, in terms of firepower, in terms of explosiveness. And I, I think that Ohio State's certainly going to keep a lot of the the dink and dunk underneath stuff that they ran this season that worked so well. But I also think that we're going to see an Oklahoma-esque offense. I, I think we're going to see a lot of downfield passing, a lot of like the stuff that Clemson was doing uh, in the championship game, throwing downfield to just guys who are really big that have long arms and big hands that can make plays and throwing downfield to guys who are just more talented than the person across from them and trusting your quarterback to make those throws, trusting your receivers to make those catches. And, you know, it, it, we were we were asking for that for years when JT Barrett was the quarterback, when, you know, even going back to like Braxton Miller, asking for Ohio State to be willing to throw the football down the field. And we saw it in, we got a taste of it in 2018. We didn't see it in full because of uh, the man running the show. 
But I don't think Ryan Day has any qualms with throwing the ball down the field. And I'm I'm really excited to see what that means for this receivers group. Dude, I'm so glad you said that at the end and made that point because what's so exciting to me about this is, and this is an issue we've talked about for the last two years, really, is putting players in positions to win. And the 2018 group was so good because... They, they all were good receivers. Terry McLaurin stepped his game up. Paris Campbell stepped his game up. Johnny Dixon stepped his game up. They could all they could all get out and catch passes. But with the way Ohio State wanted to use them was also for blocking. That's why a lot of those guys played. That's why we didn't see a lot of Chris Olave. That's why we haven't seen Benjamin Victor. You know, they have they explicitly said that he's not seeing the field because he isn't as good of a blocker. But that's not what you brought Benjamin Victor in here for. Yes, you want him to be good, but that that's not what he is. And with this shift in offense, you're still going to have to block. You always want your receivers to be able to block for your running backs, and that'll still be a focal point. But these guys are going to be true receivers. They're going to be asked to go downfield and make plays. And I, I think we're, we're going to watch a guy like Benjamin Victor or Austin Mack one of those guys is going to break out and have a really huge season. And the talk is going to be how they made this huge jump. And I think that'll be justified, but it'll also be they're finally being used for what they were brought in for and being used to their strengths. And that's what those guys are. That's what a guy like Garrett Wilson is. That's what Bab is. That's what Jalen Harris is. They have all of these very raw and talented receivers that, yeah, when you run, when you're a run-first offense, you don't want those guys on the field as freshmen if you're just going to have them go run-block. These guys aren't going to be run-blocking 60% of the time anymore. There's still going to be a little bit of that, but they're going to be slinging the ball. And that's where you know it hurts to lose the production of those guys that are heading out. But for the new guys, it's going to be production just in a different way. And I think it's going to it's going to benefit everybody because Oklahoma being able to throw the ball down the field like they are, it hasn't hurt their ability to run. In fact, it opens up more for their ground game. So I, I think that this is also good for J.K. Dobbins, for Demario McCall, literally everybody involved, because I think everybody now will be used to their strengths and this offense will reach the ceiling that we've wanted it to the past couple of years. Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, I agree with all of that. And on that front, real quick, I, I will say, in case people are, are thinking that we're getting soft on Ohio State and we're finally starting to be positive about the team that we ostensibly root for, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I will say, um, if Ohio State doesn't give Garrett Wilson significant time next year because he's not a capable blocker, uh, I'm never going to shut the f*** up about that. That sucks. <laughs> they, yeah, we won't. Don't think I anything's am, changing I around I am preemptively here. mad about that. <laughs> it hasn't even happened yet. <laughs> yeah, nothing is going to change on, on that front, and that's probably that's the thing that we're probably going to most scrutinize now is the offense that, hey, we've wanted these changes on defense. We'll see what happens in year one, but offensively if Justin Fields gets that waiver the offensive line is going to be something that's a little bit of a mystery we'll see how the next month plays out and who they're able to bring in to complete this 2009 or 2009 2019 signing class but out wide even with the loss of those guys like there's no reason in this offense for there not to be some talent and guys making plays and whether that's freshmen juniors, seniors, whoever it may be, the best players need to get out on the field. And a guy like Garrett Wilson, he's got to see the field in year one. Jeremy Ruckert, for as talented as he is, he's got to see the field. You got to get those guys out there and get them playing. I, I think the era of, hey, this guy isn't making tackles on kickoff, that shit is over, man. It's, hey, are you playing <laughs> your position be. well? Do you know the offense? Do you know your position? Do you know the playbook? Can you play special teams? That's obviously still going to play a part in that. But, you know, your 6'4", 185-pound freshman Benjamin Victor shouldn't be on kickoff. He should be out making plays on the field on offense. And that's what a guy like Garrett Wilson, I don't want him out there on kickoff. I want him playing offense, making plays. And I, I think that that era is over and that's going to be a big change. It's something that's a little bit under the radar, but I would encourage people to really watch for that because that is going to be a little bit of a cultural shift from what we've seen. And it's something that's necessary, especially for that offense. And they're going to have weapons, but yeah, like you said, don't, don't think we're going to go soft. If they don't play these guys, we'll, we'll still be giving them shit. 
Yeah, for sure. And you you know who um you know what coach doesn't give a shit if his his freshman receivers who are extremely talented can't block. Debo Sweeney, he just won a championship because of that that theology, that idea. And I I really I could not care less if Garrett Wilson or Ben Victor or any of these guys can't really block. I I don't care. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it does not matter in this system. There's no excuse anymore. And um you know Brian Day, we we haven't seen what he's going to do with those guys yet. I I am, um, I, I don't know, leaning towards thinking that he will do it and he will play the young guys and giving him the benefit of the doubt. But that's really a key for his first season. We talked about this last week. How you know not being afraid not being afraid to make those bold decisions, playing freshmen on both sides of the ball, playing a true freshman receiver, being willing to go out and get Justin Fields and then playing him if he's eligible over a guy who's been here several years now in Tate Martell. And making those tough decisions is the key to not just this season, but the Ryan Day tenure as a whole. And I, I think that the receiver position is going to serve as a really, really good um, kind of indicator for what the whole tenure will look like if he is willing to go out and play Garrett Wilson, if he's willing to play Jeremy Ruckert, if he's willing to not just adapt his system to the talent that is there, but adapt his system to the most talented players on the roster. And, you know, not not just trying to make it work around the the oldest guys who have earned their spots on merit. Rather, finding who the guys are on this team, no matter how old or young they are, and putting them on the field, figuring out what they're good at, and putting them in the best position to succeed. And, you know... If that means that Garrett Wilson is one of the three starting receivers, then that's what he should be. He he should be, you know, if if Garrett Wilson is the second most talented receiver on campus or the first most talented receiver on campus, the second he shows up, that's where he should be on the depth chart. He he should be out there. And I, I think that, you know, the same can be said that, you know, somewhere like linebacker. If Baron Browning is the best linebacker on campus, which I think, at least in my mind, he probably is. I think in terms of pure talent, and it'll certainly help that he has a coach now, like a real football coach that knows how to coach football. Um, but if he's the most talented linebacker, if Dallas Gann, if Terada Mitchell, Justin Hilliard, whoever it may be, you know, regardless of the the class listed next to their name, if they're the most talented player on the roster, they got to play, and they have to play in a spot that fits them, and that means that. You know, finding a place for Tyreek Johnson, finding a place for Josh Proctor, finding a place where those guys fit and putting them into a spot, not just where they fit, but where they can thrive and where they can do what they're really good at. And, you know, finding a way to use Baron Browning's speed in, in open space and not playing a, a cookie cutter defense, not just playing where you have to have three linebackers on the field because that's what your defense says. And, you know, you have to have Pete Warner out there playing cornerback because you need to have three. You need to have three linebackers out there, even if one of them is going to have to play cornerback to match up with what the offense is doing. You know, and being willing to adjust the personnel based on what you have and what the other team is showing you. And I, I'm I'm confident that Ryan Day can do that. But if he's not doing that, people should be upset about it. People should be people should be outraged that. Ohio State isn't playing a talented young player because we just saw now back-to-back national championships that were decided by freshmen at you know at quarterback at receiver. Alabama won the 2017 championship with a true freshman quarterback, and Georgia damn near won last year's with a true freshman quarterback as well. Yeah, and you know, and you have Tua throwing the touchdown pass to a true freshman in 2017 for the game winner. You've got young guys all over the field in 2017, and now in 2018, you got Justin Ross out there making plays. You got Trevor Lawrence out there making plays. Uh, you know, defensive end Xavier Henry's out there making plays, and Alabama's got you know sophomore Jerry Judy out there, and just young talent all over the field, and not you know not picking starters based on who's been there longest, and that's how you get to the pinnacle of college football. That is the key to being an elite college football program is is you know recruiting depth recruiting elite talent and then putting that elite talent in a position to succeed and i i really think that that's the key 
under Ryan Day is is putting together all of the talent that Urban Meyer accumulated and putting it in the best possible position to succeed. Yeah, I, I really don't have anything else to Ron Vincent. I cannot wait for you to log on next season. I'm very <laughs> excited. There's a lot there's a lot of guys that we haven't seen a ton from that whether it's through reports from spring ball or the spring game and then fall practice leading up to the season. It's just going to be fun to track the progress and see who's getting talked about, who has some buzz. Uh, there's just uh, We talked about it a little bit last week. There's a new energy, and you can feel it, I think, in the coaches. You can feel it amongst the program, and you can feel it amongst the fans. And this is – I'm super fired up for college football being over last night. I am already ready for next season, so it should be a lot of fun we pretty much got through everything. Last bit of news was Dwayne Haskins declared for the draft. I don't even that think little we have thing, to, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't even think we have to really touch on that because it was a formality. It was there were people who were surprised, and it was like a big news. Dwayne Haskins declares for the draft, but you know we we knew three weeks into the season that hey, <laughs> go chase that money, man. He had a phenomenal season. We'll remember him for being the best single season quarterback of all time, and and somehow they only managed to play him. For one season, just absolutely baffling. But the one season, very special. And it's nothing but good news for Ohio State because he's either going to be the first player drafted or the first quarterback drafted. And you can bet your ass that Ryan Day, in his first year as head coach and on the recruiting trail, the second that his name gets announced in that NFL draft, will be hitting every single quarterback prospect up. Like that that is nothing but good news for Ohio State. So best of luck to Dwayne. Can't wait to see what he does in the NFL, except if it's for the Giants. I don't want to see that. <laughs> it's gonna be awesome to watch him progress and cause he's still such a young quarterback. He's he's still got so much to learn and I have no doubt that he's gonna be very successful and transition from Haskins into probably Justin Fields is gonna be super awesome and Damn, Ohio State's rolling at quarterback right now. Nothing really else you can say about that. The the Haskins news has been a thing that Haskins is aware of, that Ryan Day is aware of, that Justin Fields is aware of since December. The, this is a known this is a known thing. Um, Justin I, Fields wasn't brought in to compete yeah. with Dwayne Haskins <laughs> and Tate Martell. He wasn't making that decision, guys. Yeah, Justin Fields, who is uh, very, very close with Dwayne Haskins and talked to him extensively about this decision. And I, I think that, you know, Haskins and, and Ryan Day are the reasons that Justin Fields is at Ohio State. Um, when, when that rumor started coming out that Fields was going to end up at Ohio State, um, that was that was when we knew that, that Haskins was gone. So yeah, certainly a certainly a formality here. And you know, Dwayne, go get paid. He he deserves it. He is going to be a, an excellent quarterback for whoever drafts him. Um, I, I think that you know where wherever he ends up, he's going to be a star. And I'm I'm really excited to see him play at the next level. Finally, an Ohio State quarterback worth a shit on the NFL <laughs> level. That's going to be really yeah. nice to watch. <laughs> How dare you disrespect Cardale Jones like this? We love Cardale Jones on this podcast. I will go to my grave that Troy Smith deserved that time over Joe Flacco. I'm 100% <laughs> wrong, but I will die on that hill. Joe Flacco trash. That's the official endorsement of this podcast. Joe <laughs> Flacco trash. Um, last little bit of Ohio State stuff here not on the the football side unless you have anything else football to talk about was um the basketball team played on on saturday and talking about it for a while they went and the they hosted michigan state didn't go great um it was an 86 to 77 loss I, i think it was a little bit closer than the final score indicated um they looked awesome in the first half it it was a it was a really delightful first half i think is the best way to describe it um it felt like Ohio State was really rolling on all cylinders. It felt like, you know, C.J. Jackson was playing up to his potential. He was playing awesome defense, and Ohio State had, I think, a seven-point lead at the half. There was a um, there was a play right before the end of the half where the ball got saved from going out of bounds like four different times by four different Buckeyes, and it ended in a Dwayne Washington three. And it it just it felt so great. And then in the second half, they they couldn't quite keep up i think it was a depth issue i think it was a top level talent issue i think it was a a guard issue um cj jackson was dealing with some cramps caleb wesson was in foul trouble for the entire second half and ohio state just didn't have the answer for for uh, cassius winston in the second half and 
ultimately falters down the stretch. I think still a pretty encouraging showing for the Buckeyes, especially the first half. I think they really showed that they can they can compete with Michigan State. They can compete with Michigan. They can compete with the the best of the best in the Big Ten. And in year two under Chris Holtman, that's a really big deal still. You know, that's a that's a situation where Ohio State is not at a, a talent level where I think that they will be eventually under Holtman. They are not quite too too fully operational and they're still able to go out there and play Michigan State really close. I think they probably would have won the game had CJ Jackson not um had to deal with those injuries. He was playing really, really well in the first half. But ultimately it's a it's a learning experience for, for the young, you know, Buckeye team and they uh it's a chance to, you know, kind of see what the what the ceiling looks like, what they could be and you know, I, I think that I'm still encouraged going forward for this team, and I think that this is a you know a basketball team that can finish with, you know, another fifth or sixth seed appearance in the NCAA tournament. And after where they were at the end of the Thad Mata era, that's a really big deal. I'll, I'll I'll take it. I mean, that's that's quite a bit of improvement. Yeah, we talked about it a bunch. They still have so much to learn. They're they're going to be consistent. There's going to be stretches like that first half where they look really good. They go on those runs and they just make hustle plays. And I think those type of things are going to define the Chris Holtman era is that that's the way that they are going to play for most of the time. But they just need to be more consistent. And as all of these young guys get more time and they get their footing in conference play, you know, that that's not a bad loss to take. Losing to Michigan State at home is far from a bad loss. And quite honestly, losing those type of games where you play so well in the first half and then things kind of fall apart in the second half, those are going to make them a better basketball team in the end than just hitting a bunch of threes, taking some bad shots and having them go in and pulling off an upset because they can really learn from losses like that and be able to build from it. So I I still, there's almost nothing that can happen aside from them just falling off a cliff, which I don't think is going to happen. What's up guys? Colton here. We obviously recorded this before. Ohio State lost to Rutgers tonight. So yeah, not great. Slowly they're just they're starting to get it and you know, if they are able to play a team like Michigan tough, that that's going to be another game where I'm not going to go into either of those games feeling like hey, they they need to beat Michigan. They need to show that they can beat one of these teams. If they just play consistent basketball, I think that's where you start to see like okay, they're they're going to take another step forward and it's going to be a little bit of a process, but as long as they're a better team at the end of the season than they were at the start of the year and than they are now, I think that it, it would be hard to not quantify the season as a success and I like what I'm seeing as the season goes on. Yeah, I, I think that the, you know, really the best way to to sum it up is that um, I'm super excited about Ohio State having two young, energetic coaches who seem to be changing the cultures of their, you know, respective programs. And I, I think that having Ryan Day and having Chris Holtman on campus at the same time is a really, really cool thing that I'm certainly going to try to enjoy as best I can. And I think that Buckeye fans should try to enjoy as best they can. And you know, we we've said it before on this podcast. If you're in Columbus, if you have the means, go out see a basketball game. That's it's a really fun experience. Um, probably can't get as good a seat this year as last year, um, but it's it's still a it's a really good time. Um, it's a bad arena, but it's a fun team. It's a fun team to go watch live, and um, they they really do have a a new energy to them in the program, and they really do have a, a um, you know a, something about them that's just purely likable and something about them that's very easy to fall in love with and I don't know if it's just how hard they play all the time I don't know if it's the personalities I don't know if it's a you know a combination of all of those things paired with Chris Holtman but I I feel I feel very good about the future of Ohio State basketball even you know even if they're not on Michigan State's level yet which is really I mean given what he walked into I don't think that it would be fair to expect Ohio State to be on that level under Chris Holtman uh, at least not yet. I think that they will get there. You look at the, you know, you look at the recruiting classes that he's brought in and that he will be bringing in. I think they're going to get there, which is very, very exciting given what Michigan State is. Um, but they're not quite there yet, and it's it's fun to to still watch a growing team, to watch a growing program, and kind of, you know, 
follow that that revival. I, I think that they're going to get to a very, very elite level very soon, and you can you can see that potential. And it's it's a really fun experience, even when they don't win. Man, all this positivity for one episode. We need to go yell at some <laughs> yeah, shit. Yeah, we got to go this. watch some Greg Schiano defensive highlights. <laughs> and and you know what? We've been calling for it, and it finally happened. So we're we're not going to complain. We finally we've gotten most of what we wanted. Yeah, Ryan Day, hire us as analysts already. You're taking our advice. You better pay us. <laughs> one, you know what? One last one last thing though. This happened a couple days ago, but was hilarious and very indicative of everything we were talking about. Was it some five-star safety from Texas after Alex Grinch left? Oh yeah, that, that on, on Twitter, on Twitter, he was like, "Oh, that's probably why they weren't recruiting me." Will somebody from Ohio State please start recruiting me? Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. That's when you know you have a healthy culture. Yeah, very good. It's very good to me. <laughs> but they're recruiting him now, aren't they? I think so. I, I also think that he's um, the you know the the common thing in recruiting is that a kid likes to play the game. I think he's definitely a kid that likes to play the game a little bit. Um, but they uh, they are out recruiting him. I know that he talked to uh, to Ryan Day and Brian Hartline pretty extensively <laughs> after that tweet went out. Um, but I, I do think that he's a guy that Ohio State's going to be to look to be looking at pretty thoroughly, especially. If they go out and hire um, a good defensive backs coach, which I think they're going to here probably before this podcast episode goes up, um, but that that was a that was a funny little tweet. I, I'm not sure how much uh, how much validity there was to it, but I uh, I was not super sold on Alex Grinch as a recruiter, and that that kind of uh, cemented that feeling a little bit, and that is certainly. Uh, an experience that I don't think is is unique to that specific recruit. I think there are quite a few defensive backs out there who probably thought it was a little strange how little Alex Grinch tried uh, to recruit them, and the same can probably be said for Tabor Johnson. Recruiting five-star prospects that are interested in you. Actually good. That's yeah, good to me. <laughs> that is good to me. What is also good to me is everybody that's been listening to the show. We want to thank you guys for tuning in and telling us we need to drop new episodes when stuff like this happens. So we got it to you guys a little bit late, but hope you enjoyed this one. Be sure to interact with us at Holy Land Pod on Twitter. I am at Dubsco. Patrick is at Patrick underscore Mayhorn. You can follow the site as well. Visit the show, soundcloud.com slash land grant holy land. And follow the show on Apple Podcasts. Just search Hang Out in the Holy Land, find it there, subscribe, leave a review, do everything in your power to interact with us. We're always down for questions and or comments. We love the feedback, so get in touch with us because we want to hear from you. But that about wraps it up for today's episode. want to thank you once again for listening. We'll be back at some point later in the week or next week talking about other moves Ryan Day is going to make and more hires, fires, and everything of the like. But until then, for Patrick Mayhorn, I'm Colton Denning. This has been the Hangout in the Holy Land, and go Bucks. <laughs>